Welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast, everybody. It is the first podcast of mayhem as we are uh, into uh, the final week of the regular season, heading towards Champ Week, and then on to the NCAA tournament. Of course, we'll have every pitch for you throughout the postseason on the road to the Women's College World Series. BMO, Horo, Shro, Bro, Scarborough, Smitty, JDH, and our whole cast of characters with you. We're going to talk to uh, Mary Half, Valerie Cagle, going to hear a little Kenny Gajewski, get you ready for uh, the weekend that was and also the weekend that is to be. But it all starts out with the mayhem, Jenny Dalton Hill, and what intrigues you and excites you the most about what we've got coming up in the next 30 or so days. I love the parody in all the conferences as we head into the last week of regular season play and then to conference tournaments next week. You see some solidifying at the top of most of the conferences, but there is so much movement sitting down at the bottom of these conferences and just seeing the fight and the grit that each of these teams is showing. I mean, last week it was Georgia Tech fighting for their lives against Virginia, the bottom of the ACC, and Georgia Tech coming away with a four-game sweep. So just so much parity. Jen, what are you looking forward to? Well, I'm so excited for Selection Sunday. I know we're a few weeks away from that, but I want to know what the committee thinks of the Big Ten. I think it's a question that everyone's been wondering, and so I think we're getting closer to finding that answer. How are they going to seed them? How many teams are going to make the tournament? It's just something that everyone's asking everyone and no one has an answer for, and so I'm really excited to know what that answer is finally. Amanda, what are you thinking? I think that Hannah Adams home run this weekend against Missouri was the definition of mayhem top of the seventh Florida is down sec championship on the line. She steps up, has this incredible at bat and hits a home run to give Florida the lead. So that to me, I mean, it was like perfect that that happened in may because that was the type of thing that does happen in may. And that just makes just these games so incredible to watch coming up. Yeah, Amanda, I agree with that. I think the other thing that I, is impressive um, and is all about mayhem is uh, the way that Arkansas adapted when they had to play a doubleheader on Monday, right? So they are kind of thrown out of rhythm a little bit. They don't let them affect it. That, it, it, that does, they don't let it affect them. They lose game two of the series, come back to win game three of the series. So I just think that the ability to adapt and step up at the right time is what this sport is all about in the postseason. Yeah, and it's so exciting to see teams like Arkansas and Clemson, new teams in discussions for championships in the regular season. I think that's what Mayhem's all about is crowning new champions and seeing new teams emerge as powerhouses across the country. And the other thing I look at is this is the final week for a lot of conferences, but the final two weeks of, of regular season play before we get to elimination softball. That's so important is how can you wrap up the last week of regular conference season play to get your team ready and fortified to face uh, the road of elimination ahead. I think that it means that the women's college world series is right around the corner. The road to Oklahoma city starts now. Elimination softball is a great way to say it, Kayla, but I would like to ask Beth, our fearless leader, how did you come up with hashtag mayhem? Because it's so perfect and it, it sets up for what wild, wacky, crazy softball competitive play that we are going to see this month. Well, I think we're always looking for great names and phrases like the Frozen Four. And of course, basketball has March Madness. So I wanted to try and come up with something that spoke to how, how crazy uh, the month is and how much fun we have. And May 
uh, you know, I got the thesaurus out, what, what words are may in, and of course, mayhem is right there at the top of the list. And I just, I think it speaks so well to what uh, this month is all about uh, heading into the Women's College World Series. So the mayhem is upon us. And never did I think that the road to the ACC championship would be paved in orange, but we've got Clemson at Syracuse this weekend. Great opportunity for Clemson in their first season of being to win an ACC championship and a great opportunity for Syracuse to, to play spoiler and have a say into who wins the regular season crown. We're going to talk Clemson coming up. Arkansas uh, winning a share of the SEC. How about the huge showdown coming up this weekend? Michigan and Minnesota. And of course, Bedlam. When you watch some of the highlights of the podcast, folks, you're going to see our very own Michelle Smith sporting her Pokes t-shirt. Oklahoma State has a chance against Oklahoma in Stillwater. The joint will be jumping this weekend. You can follow along on your social media at Seven Innings Podcast, and that's where you can send your questions for our mailbag that is coming up later, as well as shagging some stats. We have a new sheriff in town. It's the Arkansas Razorbacks. SEC co-champs at least, and Scarborough's Aggies of Texas A&M stand in the way. One win over Florida, and it's all Razorbacks, but the Gators can still win a share and grab the number one seed, Scarborough, heading into the SEC tournament. But uh, what, what a moment this weekend for Arkansas. Yeah, a really emotional interview by Courtney Diefel after the game on Monday that would just still gives me goosebumps even thinking about it and seeing the emotion on her face and her words and just what it meant for their program to win their first SEC championship. Um, it didn't come easy necessarily this weekend against LSU. The first couple of games were really close scoring pitchers duel. They didn't hit a home run in their first two games, which had only happened really a handful of times the entire season. Um, and then Monday, they just looked motivated back against the wall. They had to win that game in order to, to feel like they could get a share and not rely on AM beating Florida, but just rely on themselves. And they came through and they got that win and they got to celebrate. And God, it was just so cool to see them celebrate on the field and, uh, congratulations to Courtney Diefel and her staff in Arkansas. It was just really, really awesome to watch. And they just clawed out some wins, honestly, Beth, this weekend. And it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I thought it was really cool to see Arkansas uh, be who they are. All season long, they've been dealing with injuries, with uh, a, not a full roster. And that's kind of how this series went against LSU when it came down to it, when they needed a game to win. They went to a pinch hitter, Ryan Jackson, who hit – uh, the game-winning RBI to take the win in game one. So for them, it's just always been about next man up, who we have is who we need, and that was reflected in their final series. And then beyond that, I mean, Mary Half is an absolute superstar. Her grittiness to go out and pitch the way that she did to finish games the way she did in games one and games three was so impressive. I, I just love to see that fight in the circle. And you can just tell she's somebody that you want to play behind because of the presence that she has in those big moments. You know what I love about this Arkansas pitching staff is the right person seems to step up at the right time. So if you look at the beginning of the season, Mary Half was the go-to girl. And then somewhere towards the middle, Autumn Storms really stepped up and had some tremendous wins for them. And then now Mary Half is kind of closing out the year. But I really want to talk about their transition. I mean, we talk about the 2016 team winning one game in the SEC. And my sister was on that team. My sister played for Mike Larrabee 
and then Courtney Diefel. And I will tell you as a, you know, firsthand experience as someone who went to Bogle almost every weekend, seeing the way that program has turned around, not just from the team, but from the fans, seeing a hundred people at the game to a thousand to sell out crowds to how the state of Arkansas and the city of Fayetteville has responded to a women's sports team being dominant. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I was texting my sister and during that Courtney Diefel interview, Amanda, that 2017 team who was really Courtney Diefel's, you know, first group of girls who uh, mustered out some wins and, and were, you know, took Oklahoma to a regional uh, championship in, in 2017. Um, they were just bawling. They like all of them were just crying so hard watching. They couldn't even get words out. So it's just really cool to see how that program has developed and evolved and to really think that this Courtney Diefel era is something special and it's something that's not going to go away anytime soon. Jenny, what do you think? Well, and when we've talked with Courtney Diefel during our coach calls heading into their games on the weekends, one of the things that she didn't realize but should have, she thinks, was she, they have a sports psychologist. His name's Dr. Bader. They've been working with him. And in one of those meetings, Hannah McEwen was talking to the team about how, you know, we saw the vision that coach Diefel had, and that's what we bought into. They weren't successful when we got here, but we knew that we believed in the vision that she had. And coach Diefel said, I just get goosebumps thinking about that because I always had this picture in my head of what it was going to look like but I didn't know that they had it too until that moment. But now will Texas A&M be able to be the spoiler? Will they be able to take one from Florida? That's my question because Jen, there was a big controversy, well, not a big controversy, but on social media, there was kind of some banter about sharing a title and I'm with you. I don't ever want to share anything. It's win it or don't win it. So what do you guys think? I would never want to share a title, Jen. Well, yeah, the banter that you're talking about is my uh, Pac-12 self came out and said, man, I've never heard Bruins brag about sharing a title. That must be the difference in the Pac and the SEC, because it seems like, Kayla, I'm talking to you. A lot of these SEC girls are real excited about sharing a ring. I don't know about that about Alabama. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I know that there is this, you know, rivalry between the Pac and the SEC. So it's just kind of fun to talk about that. And can I just interject? I, I'm hoping because Florida and Arkansas didn't play in the regular season. So if they do end up splitting a title, I am hoping so badly that they play in the tournament, which is something that the Pac-12 does not have is that extra tournament. Hey, who's going to go win another championship? Time out, Caleb, bro. That means that Arkansas or Florida would have to go through Alabama to get uh, to the final. Don't spoil whoa, things whoa, for me, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> what say you, Smitty? Well, you know, I, I love all of this banter, the back and forth. And I agree. Nobody really wants to share anything when it comes to championships. But um, but it is interesting. I think, uh, Jen, uh, Jenny Dalton Hill, back to your point about the mentality of Arkansas is that this is a resilient team and they absolutely bought in and they absolutely believed because when you look at them on paper, statistically, they have the 11th batting average, right, in the SEC, 11th, right? So that's third from the bottom. The fifth best fielding percentage, ERA six. So they're in the middle there, but you know what they do really well. They hit home runs and they walk. They're number one in home runs. They're number one in walks, their ability to take free passes. 20% of their at bats result in a free pass. So the fact that they get it done when they need to get it done, when the rest of the stuff on paper says they probably shouldn't be getting it done speaks to the mentality of 
that coaching staff and what they have gotten their, their, their players to buy into. To me, that's what's most impressive. Let's listen to some of those players because I think Mary Half was huge this weekend and she joins us next on the Seven Innings Podcast. Well, joining us now is the SEC Pitcher of the Week. And Mary Half, you had such an incredible week and weekend. First of all, Arkansas clinches a share of the SEC championship. But I want to talk to you about how incredible your weekend was because you had 16.1 innings pitched. You had to come back in in relief in that clinching game. And I feel like the roller coaster emotions could be all over the place. So one, how did you approach this weekend knowing what was on the line and trying to stay focused in that first? game against LSU yeah like you said um, we had a lot on the line this weekend Um, going into the series coach Stifel and all of our coaching uh, staff kind of told us you know this is just a normal series for us this isn't any different than the first series that we played against South Carolina to just approach it that way Um, you know we're not going to make the moment bigger than what it is it's just a normal game and um, I think we controlled our emotions really well this weekend and I think that's um, one of the main reasons why we were able to overcome the first game loss and um, take game two or game three. You have to come in in relief and, and LSU is starting to gain some momentum in that last game. And you have to win that game to clinch a share of the championship. So tell me what you thought as you run from the bullpen, needing to close out that game with three innings left to get that championship. Yeah, it was um, something that we all wanted so bad. Um, and I was like, you know, I got to be there for my team. Um, and it's just, they have my back and, you know, whenever we're not hitting the greatest, that's whenever it's, you know, my turn to step up. So I think that's, um, kind of how this weekend went. Um, but we all wanted it so bad and no one was going to take that from us. We were going to win that second game, no matter what. Well, and Mary, your team has gone through a ton of bumps this season with COVID protocols and injuries, especially in the circle with autumn storms. So what has it felt like as a team coming together after a lot of really difficult situations with players not being able to be on the field? Yeah, one of our um, main quotes for this year is who we have is who we need. You know, our, like you said, we've had um, players out, you know, um, earlier in the season and who we have is who we need if it's you know, someone off the bench, um, everyone's willing to step up. And I think that's one of the main reasons why um, we were able to win the SEC this year is because our bench has been so amazing and stepping into the roles when they need to. And um, it's just incredible. I was curious about your self-talk because you come into this weekend a 0.86 ERA, the biggest weekend probably of your softball life so far, and you're able to be fine-tuned and focused. What were some of the things you were saying to yourself and like, getting through the innings and staying calm even after a game two loss and, and really being able to regroup? Um, yeah, one thing with LSU is they can take the momentum very quick. Um, you kind of just have to take one batter at a time. You can't think about, you know, I have four more innings left or, you know, so um, just taking one batter at a time, one inning at a time, and um, just trying not to overwhelm yourself because LSU, the environment is easily overwhelming. So um, just trying to contain, you know, your emotions and just play the game. And Coach Diefel has actually brought up a couple of different times in the coach calls that we've had Dr. Bader, the sports psychologist that you guys work with. What kind of edge has he given you as you've headed through this really successful season? Yeah, that's something this year that um, we haven't done in the past. I think it's really, um, you know, let our team speak what's on our minds. You know, sometimes there's like that elephant in the room. Yeah, we're going to go to LSU this weekend and the SEC, you know, regular season's on the line. Um, So I think him being there and let us, you know, vent about whatever we need to, you know, 
let it out, um, really lets us be more calm on the field and really, I think, just unite more as a team because we're all, you know, on the same page. You know, we're all struggling with this or that. And, you know, we have our teammates' backs and they're willing to, you know, be there for us. Um, so I think the sports psychologist, Dr. Bader, has helped us a lot this year. Um, and I would really recommend it for a lot of other teams too because it does wonders. I was curious how you ended up at Arkansas. You're from Florida and Arkansas, you know, has been kind of struggling to gain their footing in the SEC. What made you decide to go there in the first place? So since I was a little girl, I always dreamed of uh, playing the SEC. You know, I kind of grew up watching University of Florida, that powerhouse. So it's like, I want to play in the SEC whenever I get older. Um, So when it came to the recruiting process, Arkansas was the only SEC school that offered me anything. So I was like, you know, I'm going. I'm going to go and, you know, I'm going to take a chance, you know, with them. So Coach Stifel told me we were up and coming program, you know, just take a chance on us. And, you know, we're going to turn this program around and you can be a big part of that. And I think not just me, but all of the um, redshirt juniors, seniors that came in, um, I've really done wonders this program and, you know, taking a chance on them and, you know, doing coming here whenever they were one and whatever in the SEC and now looking at us now. Um, really just shows how much we put into the program. Well, and I love that mentality, one and whatever, it doesn't matter. (laughs) So now you guys have an off weekend this weekend as you watch the rest of the SEC finish up. What are you guys going to be doing as a team to prepare for postseason? Um, So I think this weekend actually came at a great time. Um, Like you said, we've, you know, kind of had people out here and there. So I think just letting our bodies recover um, and get ready for the SEC tournament. Um, So letting us prepare, uh, you know, hitting wise, pitching wise, just getting um, us fine tuned for season and not having that one, um, you know, last SEC series and having a break before the tournament, I think is going to have us have an edge a little bit on whoever we have to face. So you guys go from this celebration on the field in Baton Rouge, take, take me through what that was like to get home and what the reception has been like on campus, because I know I posted one little media, social media post about you guys winning and it went viral. So I know that, that the Arkansas fan base is just stoked about this. Oh, absolutely. I think um, they've all just kind of been waiting, you know, they've been wanting to cheer for us so bad, um, you know, in the past, like you said, we haven't been the greatest. So I think once that we started getting momentum and started doing a lot better, like we have people that are willing to cheer us on, you know, the whole athletic department, you know, just Arkansas in general, just loves the Razorbacks. And that just shows, like you said, that whenever we have any type of success, you know, people are willing to cheer for us, willing to come to our games, you know, the, even whenever we're at home, the fans are insane. So um, I think just the whole state of Arkansas is rallying behind us um, and it's incredible. It's so awesome. Okay. You guys have the SEC tournament coming up in two weeks. What will the focus be entering postseason? Um, I mean, I think it's just staying us and playing our game. Um, You know, the whole year we haven't been worried about wins and losses. Um, Obviously, we want to play as best as we can, but we play our best whenever we're relaxed and having fun and just enjoying our teammates and the environment. So um, not letting, you know, the big moment become too big and just enjoying, you know, the little moments that we have with our team and just, you know, trying not to put too much pressure on ourselves. And I think we'll be fine. All right. Mary Half. Pitcher of the week in the SEC, champion in the SEC, and you went from one scholarship offer in the SEC to you're going to be taking home a championship ring. How does that sound? That's awesome. I'm so excited. We're all so excited. I can't wait to get that ring. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you. 
Very well done by Arkansas. They have at least a share of the SEC championship, and uh, they will now uh, root like crazy for Texas A&M to knock off Florida so they don't have to share that title. Uh, Big changing of the guard could be taking place in the ACC as well as we move down our lineup card. Let's talk some Clemson Tigers. Uh, Florida State lost this uh, past weekend, so they lost uh, the driver's seat. And now it is Clemson. If they can sweep Syracuse this weekend, they are the regular season champs. They go up uh, to upstate New York, winners of 17 in a row. That will get underway on Friday, led by uh, Val Cagle, who's hitting over 400 with 12 home runs and also 23 wins in the circle. This Clemson story is just as good as Arkansas's, ladies. Only faster. That's so true. And, you know, Valerie Cagle has gotten better as the year has gone on. You mentioned that her batting average is over 400. The last time that I called their game a week or two ago, it was about 380. So it's continuing to climb. She's getting stronger in the circle. She's getting stronger at the plate and just being able to take over games. But how impressive is it that this is their first real season, first complete season, and they're at the top. We would be impressed if they were in the top half and they're at the very top in front of the team that's won the national championship in the S and Florida State. So they are in the driver's seat, Beth, if they don't blow away at Syracuse this weekend, because I watched the Syracuse game against Virginia Tech and there were like 50 mile an hour gusts. So if they don't blow away and maybe if they can hit a few bombs and beat Syracuse, if they win those four games, they win the the, the regular season championship, Holly. Just to put into perspective how unique and incredible this story is. So a year ago, last September, I was touring the Clemson stadium with a hard hat. It wasn't even finished. They didn't even have the grass laid. The walls weren't painted. This is a brand new program, a brand new stadium. And for them to put together a roster that can compete for a championship in the ACC. And this is an improved ACC. I think this is the most depth and the most competitive we have ever seen the ACC. They're doing it in a year when this is a deep competitive conference and from hard hats to hard hits. I just, I think it's an incredible story. Well, and if you look at their leader, John Rittman, he actually did the same exact thing at Washington. He was an assistant coach, but when he came in, they started that program and Arizona played them in 96 for the national championship. So John Rittman is a pro at not only building programs, but building players, spotting talent, putting the right kids on the field and being able to be successful right away. And so for me, the addition of Duke and Clemson into the ACC has absolutely pushed the ACC into the conversation. And so John Rittman at the helm has done a great job of bringing players in that were ready to perform right away. Yeah. And one of those players, Jenny, we talk a lot about a freshman being in Valerie Cagle, but Mackenzie Clark, their center fielder and leadoff hitter is an athlete. She is a star. She's so much fun to watch play. And I think she kind of gets a little bit overshadowed because of Cagle pitching, having the ball in her hand, being the three hole, everybody's intentionally walking, but she steals bases, has a great arm, has good reads, hits with power, always finds a way to get on base. And she really sets a tone for their offense. I think this is the perfect time now to hear from the Tigers. Joining us now on the seven innings podcast, got a big week coming up for Valerie Cagle and the Clemson Tigers as uh, they get set to take on Syracuse this weekend with a shot at the ACC regular season championship. Ladies and gentlemen, the lovely and talented Hall of Fame stadium reporter, 
Holly Rowe. Oh, I thought you were going to say Valerie Cagle because she is the lovely and talented. So let's go right to the the very talented. And Valerie, I'm just so excited for your team because I'm not sure if people around the country actually realize what an undertaking this has been of starting a program and then competing for a championship just a year and a half later. So I wanted to just kind of ask you, number one, why did you believe in Clemson um, and this building process? Yeah, I'm somebody who's super competitive. So the chance to be a part of something um, that, you know, not a lot of people get to be a part of and kind of create the foundation and build up from there um, is something that's just really hard to pass up on. Um, and then uh, obviously with the coaching staff that we have with Coach Ritman and Coach Jamison, with all the experience they have, um, you know, it's easier to believe that they can build something because they have had experience in the past. So you guys are building, you're off to this incredible start. I've heard that it's just absolutely packed last year. People are so excited. There's softball in Clemson. And then we hit the COVID pause. So how did your team pick up that momentum and excitement and carry it over to this season to now make a championship run? It definitely helped that we only lost one senior last year. Um, And so we just brought in, you know, seven freshmen and a transfer. So we kind of pick up where we left off just because we didn't really lose uh, much. We just kind of pick that up and then, it's definitely different without the fans, but um, the fans that are allowed in the stadium, they uh, make themselves very known. So it's still a really good environment to play in. How are you guys approaching this weekend and, and trying to keep you know the blinders on of like, let's not think about too much, but you have an opportunity to win the ACC championship with four wins this weekend. How are you guys talking about it as a team and keeping your eyes on that prize? Um, we're just really focusing on taking it one game at a time. Uh, Friday's, you know, the first game and so focusing on Friday and then once Friday's over, then, you know, focus on the first game Saturday and then once that game's over, just kind of moving on through that. Um, we know that we're at this place for a reason. So just keep doing the same thing we've been doing all season. All right. I want some of the pitchers to jump in now here. Uh, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, uh, and talk some pitching with you because you've just been one of the young, talented arms in the country. So uh, ladies, take it away. Awesome. Uh, Valerie, thank you for joining us. We're super excited to, um, to have you here. A question on your ability to keep the ball in the park. Like, What's your mindset attacking the zone? Uh, I look at your numbers, they're staggering. So um, maybe give us a little per- of perspective how you've been so successful. Um, my game with pitching is definitely to keep the ball low in the zone. So I throw a lot of drop balls. Um, and then my fastball just has, you know, down movement. So that's definitely something that really helps keep the ball in the zone. Um, then for me over the summer last year was making sure I can really hit the corners and not just hit the corners, but, you know, be able to go two inches off the plate either way when I want to go off the plate as well. And so when you go up in the zone, um, what are you thinking? Do you try to come up underneath the hands? Because at times, obviously you want to be able to not be predictable where people are just looking down. So how do you elevate in the zone? Um, so I'm still working to develop my rise. It's been a lot better this year. Um, but it's, it, it definitely helps with that. It's a little off speed. Um, so that kind of throws off the hitters a little bit too, but that's definitely something that, um, I've been working on a lot. All right. And my last question being a hitting pitcher, um, how much do you love, cause you've hit 12 bombs yourself. So how much do you love going up against your opposing pitcher and then going yard? Yeah, it definitely, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, to be able to do something that they can't do is always fun to do. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Hey, Valerie, you talked about your off-speed rise fall, and I mean, it's, it, I have a question about that specifically, because do you, are you trying to make it off-speed, or are you just trying to put more spin on it where it becomes off-speed? Like, what's your mindset with that pitch? I'm not trying to make it off-speed, and it's not even super consistent with the speed that it is. Like, today during bullpen, it was, you know, it was harder than it is, is a lot of other times, so 
Um, it's just, I'm just still working on getting, being, being able to get the height that I wanted at. And so sometimes, you know, if it's higher, it tends to be harder. And if it's lower then it has more spin and a little less speed. So it's not something that's intentional. It just kind of happens. And you went to the same pitching coach as uh, Lacey Waldrip. Have you met her? What's your relationship like with Lacey? And have you ever had to talk to her, work with her? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, I, um, I did a pitching lesson with her one time um, when she was home for, I think, winter break one time for FSU. Um, and then my sister actually played against her um, in travel ball. So I don't really remember that, but I hear that apparently they played against each other. Um, but I did have a pitching lesson with her one time. I don't remember it very well because I think I was about 12. But So you hit and pitch, and you're super successful at both. You lead the team in average and power in from with the bat. But then in the circle, ERA, super low. How do you manage your time to be able to be so dominant in both areas? For the most part, I just have to realize that, you know, we have four hours of practice a day or whatever it is that day. And so I, you know, just kind of take whatever we have at practice. So if it's bullpen day, I'll throw if it's, you know, hitting later, but I can't really make my, or I I have to, especially in season, really focus on just using the practice time we have and not going, you know, above that for too much, because then I just, you know, just do too much. Um, but I can, I usually do hitting on a little bit extra with, you know, coaches throughout the week. Um, but pitching is pretty much just stick to throwing on bullpens. Valerie, I look at it and not only are you dealing with the time, but the mentality of being able to bounce back, maybe after you had a bad at bat and going back to the circle or vice versa, you have a, you know, bad at outing in the circle for an inning, and then you have to go have a quality at bat. What's your mentality like bouncing back between those two positions? This year, I really worked on figuring out how to split the two, so not carrying, um, you know, my pitching mindset into the batter's box. Um, but sometimes I can definitely tell that if I've had a bad at bat and I got on the mound, I'm definitely a little frustrated. Um, sometimes, <laughs> unintentionally, I start throwing a little bit harder, and it's just, you know, a little different. But I've definitely focused this year on trying to split those mindsets so that I don't carry one over to the other. Valerie, before we let you go, I just had two quick follow-ups. One, you talked about last summer working on hitting the corners. For our young listeners out there, give us some specifics of what you were doing. So if they want to work on those same skills, they can kind of follow what you were doing to work on that. Um, I was mostly just using like a nine pocket um, kind of target and just really focusing on hitting the corners. And even with the nine pocket, you know, like hitting the ours is purple, like hitting the purple on the outside. So not even hitting the actual pockets, but like hitting the outside. Um, so just focusing on hitting targets um, is the big thing with that. Beautiful. And then my last one was just, they talk about the mentality and you being able to switch gears in the middle of a game, but why did you make the decision to stay as a hitter and, and balance both of these with the new program and all that was on your plate there at Clemson? Um, hitting is something that I've always done. Uh, I wasn't very good at pitching until I was at least 12. I couldn't throw strikes, couldn't make it through an inning. So my dad has always told me, you know, like learn how to play before you learn how to pitch. So hitting is something that I've always done. Um, and so just, it's something I've always done all the way up until like, this is, it's not different, you know, here's just, I'm so used to it. Um, so it's just, you know, it's normal for me. Well, congratulations on a wonderful season and, and have a great weekend. Keep that eye on the possible ACC championship prize. And we appreciate your time here today, Valerie Cagle. Cagle putting together a fabulous season for Clemson. And uh, it'll be interesting to see too come selection Sunday, just how many of the ACC schools will be uh, seated and uh, might be able to host. Uh, We uh, haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about one of the great sleepers in recent years, and they have crept up up on us, and now it is time to uh, dive into the Dukes, ladies, 
Uh, don't look now. JMU is 30 and one, riding a 20 game win streak. They have one regular season game left this week, and then they will host the CAA tournament next week. Got to put up a player of the week nominee right here for, um, for Odyssey, who uh, was perfect in one game. And then Alexander threw a one hit shutout in her second game against the College of Charleston. Oh, by the way, hit a couple of home runs. This is a dangerous group of Dukes, ladies. Keep an eye on them. I think it's cool the tradition that JMU has built because they were a really good program under Mickey Dean and, and then he left and went to Auburn. And so I really wondered if they would be able to sustain this national presence and this great tradition that they have. But Lauren Laporte's done a great job there. She has continued to really um, keep that tradition alive. And I just love that we're seeing kind of depth at the mid-major level in softball, like any given, in, in any given weekend, they could get, be competitive with anybody in the country. Yeah, this is a great team all the way around. Kate Gordon is one of their best hitters. She's a tad under 400, 11 home runs. Odyssey Alexander, another one of those hitting pitchers. Her batting average earlier in the year was in the 200. She was not swinging it well. She's raised it up to 317. She's got an ERA underneath under one. Um, Alyssa Humphrey, another pitcher, is getting a lot of great throwing time in the circle for him. So this is a really talented team. And let's face it. They go somewhere in regionals. You're not going to be very happy that they're showing up in your backyard. The only thing I do worry about a little bit, their RPI is at 39 right now. Their strength of schedule is about a 164. So maybe haven't been as challenged as other teams in the Power Five Conference, but this is a very well-rounded team that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. Well, and Michelle, I love their pitching circle. Odyssey Alexander, we talked about her a little bit, but it's the free passes. They're not giving them up. And because of that, they're putting them in a great position to be able to out hit the opponent. So Alyssa Humphrey, that freshman you mentioned, she's got 25 walks on the year and 126 strikeouts. So keeping the ball in the zone, making the hitter do the work. Odyssey Alexander, 99 strikeouts and just 16 walks. So for me, I love that they are keeping the ball close to the zone, making the hitter do the work. And then if you look at their lineup, their home runs, every hitter on the, in the, on the roster has a home run except for two. And those two, one has six at bats and one has seven at bats. So everyone has been able to put the ball out of the park. They only have 54 as a team. And I say only because we look at the numbers of Oklahoma who's sitting at 114, but still that's a ton of home runs and everyone's contributing. Yeah, Jenny, I look at their offensive roster and I think what's scary to talk about it, Michelle is them going and playing in a regional or super regional potentially it's because they have depth in their in their lineup. I think there's six hitters in their lineup. They're batting above 300. Then you have, you mentioned Kate Gordon. Obviously she's hitting 388. She's got 11 home runs, 40 RBIs. But then I look at somebody like a Sarah Jubis that's leading the way with a 412 batting average. She has eight home runs. And then Madison Niokas, who's 22 for 22 on stolen bases. So they have that speed threat. They have power. They have consistency. And that's what it takes to be a good team and compete in the postseason. All right, JMU, one to watch with that 20-game winning streak as they get set to host the CAAs next weekend. This is the 7 Innings Podcast. Beth Mowens, Holly Rowe, Jen Schroeder, Kayla Bro, Amanda Scarborough, Michelle Smith, Jenny Dalton-Hill. Still to come, Michigan, Minnesota. We've got Bedlam. We've got Mailbag. We're going to be shagging some stats. The mayhem is upon us. So let's head to Big Ten country, Michigan, Minnesota, Four of the best pitchers in the country, Starocco and Bobian for the Wolverines, Pfizer and Peas for the Golden Gophers. Minneapolis is going to be rocking. I'm not sure it's going to be hot, but it's going to be rocking. 
Uh, Michigan goes in there, ladies, two games up in the Big Ten standings and still with a chance to be a host for the NCAA tournament. You know, Beth, I think really – uh, taking a look at Michigan's numbers and stats, I have to say that I, I think that they might be one of the most improved teams in the country. Their batting average from last year, which I know is a shortened season, but at the same time, the Big Ten hasn't played a ton of games or as much as other conferences, but their batting average up by 50 points, slugging percentage up by 120 points, on base percentage up by 40 points. So when we talked about Michigan the past couple of years, it seemed like their offense is just always been a little bit behind as they only hit about 260 last year as a team. This to me is a totally different team. And then you think about the improvement of Alex Storacco in the circle. Go back to last year again. Her ERA was 2.43. This year it's 0.63. Her whip, Michelle, a number I know you love last year was over one. This year she cut it in half. So she's improved. Their offense has improved. And Megan Bovian has just been so steady and bringing in that lefty spin and change up. I think this is a true contender. And I've really been impressed by Michigan lately. I think it's interesting to talk about stats in the big 10 because they haven't played outside of the conference. I don't know how good the quality of, of opponents are right now in the big 10. I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch what the committee does in selection Sunday in two weeks, because I think the eye test is going to be really important. If you turn on the TV and watch Michigan and Minnesota, and then you turn on the TV and watch Oklahoma state and OU this weekend, it's very different from the eye test. I, I, and this is no, no shade on the big 10. I just think this is a tough year for them. I don't think this is the quality of softball that we're used to seeing in the big 10. And that hurts to say, but I think it hurt them to start the season late to only play conference games. And so some of those stats, you know, you're talking about the improvement in her pitching, well, she's only seen big 10 hitters this year, you know? So I think the stats, what is the great quote? If you torture the numbers long enough, they'll tell you anything. Um, I think the big 10 is a really interesting anomaly in softball this year and how everyone deals with it. It's going to be interesting. I don't know if Holly's ha have you had an episode named uh, yet because you are bringing it today. Hard hats and hard hits torture the numbers. My goodness. Um, here, here's the thing, and, and hopefully we're going to have a guest on uh, from the selection committee next week before we head into uh, Selection Sunday, which will be May 16th. But Michigan, Northwestern, and Minnesota are essentially the same rosters that made deep runs in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago when they were playing outside the conference. I know you're limited your parameters to just what they did this year, but I, I'll be curious to see just how much they take into consideration knowing what these teams are capable of and whether or not they will weight the RPI as heavy when they are discussing those Big Ten teams in the room together. They've got some really good hitters, too. We mentioned the pitchers, but how about Natalie Den Hartog, McKenna Partain for the Gophers? Uh, Lexi Blair is having a player of the year kind of season. And Lou Allen Smitty. Gosh, she's starting to bash it and she makes us feel old because her grandmother is one of your buddies from the Olympics. <laughs> exactly. We used to call her grandma because she was a grandma. And now Lou Allen is in college playing at Michigan. And it's like, woo, holy yeah. cow, where did the last 25 years go? Um, and Beth, to your point, my only concern for uh, the Big Ten is that, I, you know, I think they're going to get teams in. I think that the committee is going to give them some leeway. My biggest fear is when they do show up and play a Pac-12 SEC ACC team, 
Will they be ready? I don't think they've been challenged enough. So it will be interesting in the postseason. They will have those chips squarely on their shoulders. That's for sure. From a really good matchup this weekend uh, in the Big Ten, let's go to Bedlam. And we've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. It's all over our air this weekend on ESPN Plus Friday. On uh, ESPN Saturday, big time in us. And on ESPN U Sunday, uh, if you're looking for a comparison, uh, Michelle Smith's pokes just lost to Wichita State. Uh, the Sooners bashed the Shockers uh, midweek and I think hit their 115th home run, which ties the school record. Sooners since the loss as Scarborough gets ready to call this one, 7-0, five run rules, five times they've scored in double digits and Amanda, they're outscoring foes. 84 to seven. Can they run rough shot like this in Stillwater? Well, are those numbers good? I don't really know. Like the numbers <laughs> that you just listed off, are they good? Um, I just yeah. tortured those numbers to make Holly <laughs> Road proud right there. You know, we've talked a lot about Oklahoma, but a team that we haven't talked a lot about is Oklahoma State. And they have had a really good year. They've only lost six times the entire season. Beth, you mentioned a couple of times, I think, to Wichita State. But um, they have a lot of good things going for them. They're one of six teams ranked in the top 20 in both batting average and ERA. And this is good news for OSU because in Stillwater, uh, the series record here, Oklahoma leads 34 to 33. So it's close because the overall record is Oklahoma leading 90 to 65. So they've seemed to have better luck in Stillwater. However, Kenny Gajewski has yet to be Oklahoma as a head coach at Oklahoma state. And what's unfortunate for Oklahoma state, I think Michelle is the fact that this is the best team that they've had since Kenny has been there. But at the same time, this is an Oklahoma team. That's maybe one of the best ever. So they're going up against history here, but I still think Michelle that I think that they could pull one out. What do you think? You know what I think? I think may, this is mayhem mayhem at the beginning, right? It's may the fourth be with you may fourth, right? It's, Cinco de Mayo, and it's also Bedlam, right? So this is the best, to me, the best part of the beginning of May because this is this matchup, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, is really what softball is all about in the state of Oklahoma. I'm proud of both of these clubs, and I agree with you 100%, Amanda. Um, Kenny Gajewski has done a great job, but he has yet to beat um, Oklahoma, and I'm just – I'm looking for that battle. This is, these are two teams that are extremely good. It's going to help them going into the postseason. And honestly, I think if I'm Patty Gasso, I'm excited for this challenge because my biggest question for Oklahoma is have they been challenged enough this year? So I would be grateful for this battle going into the postseason. So there you go, ladies. I agree. I think if you're Patty Gasso, and I think if you're the Oklahoma Sooner team, you're excited about this matchup, especially heading into the postseason. Uh, we talked about Wichita State. We talked about them beating uh, OSU. Well, today, Oklahoma actually just beat Wichita State. And with that win, Oklahoma softball has now outscored Oklahoma football this year. So Oklahoma softball has scored 477 points already this year, and Oklahoma's football team only scored 473 this year. Those are some wild numbers, Jenny. Well, let's put this in perspective. We know Oklahoma is the powerhouse. The last time Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma, it was April 27th, 2011. So let's think about it. We've seen a run. Oklahoma State is up against the big horse. 
And Oklahoma has actually outscored its Big 12 opponents 159 to 18. So when it comes down to it, I'm sorry, I love that there's this big clash, but Oklahoma is really the one in the driver's seat. You were able to catch up with Kenny G and talk to him about Bedlam. And I love this. He has a group me text chat with his whole team. And so uh, yesterday he sent them the definition of Bedlam. And that is a scene of uproar and confusion. And look at what the synonym is. I don't know if you guys can see this. The synonym for Bedlam is mayhem. (gasps) So I, I think there's some synergy here. And I know that you want to name the podcast, but it has to be named Mayhem because this is our Mayhem episode. But um, Kenny, Kenny Gajewski said that he believes good pitching beats good hitting every time. When I asked him, how are they going to keep the ball in the ballpark? Let's listen into what he has to say about Bedlam this year. Anytime Oklahoma and Oklahoma State meet up in anything, it's a huge series. But even more so this year, because a 14-0 and Oklahoma Sooner team comes to Stillwater, you get to host Bedlam this year. And Oklahoma is just on a roll. They've got so much firepower, but you said we fear no one. How are you getting your team really confident and ready for this huge series this weekend? We're going to prepare like we prepared from day one. That's not, that won't change the, um, you know, I think you're doing your kids a disservice if you're not preparing like that every single week. Um, But we are going to talk about the importance of this and what Bedlam means. I sent a, Group me out to our kids last night. I just, I just put the, 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 the uh, word bedlam there. And then I copied and pasted the um, definition of what that is. And I just left it at that. And I got a lot of likes. And that tells me that they're in. Um, and we're going to talk about the importance of this. And I haven't always done that each year. We've, we've been in our office kind of talking about what it's going to take. Look, they have something that we want. And they're not giving it up. So we're going to have to take it and they're going to pull back and we're going to have to take it back. And it's going to be a struggle, but this team is as capable of any team. Um, we are, we are as good as anyone around. Um, we know that our pitching is, um, is, is really good. Our hitters are really starting to come alive. Um, we play good catch. Um, I just, I I want them to understand this. I want them to understand this is a moment in time, a moment in this season where there's a, there's a lot going on and it's going to be chaos. And uh, and the bottom line is you just want to be on the uh, upper end of that. We don't have enough opponents in our conference like the SEC or the PAC that we get to have these three game series, whether they're at home or they're away where you're preparing for regional play, super regional type play. I don't like this series bouncing back and forth. I know fans do, but um, we're trying to prepare to play in the postseason. And if we were in the SEC, I think I would have a different take on, hey, every weekend's a regional, super regional type deal. Uh, we, we don't get that here. Now the conference is starting to Im- improve we're part of that over the last six years um but um we need to have more more of these and i don't want to go back and forth it's not real it doesn't prepare you like um like what you need to for postseason play i'm all about playing a 
uh, non-conference game. If, if coach Gasso wants that, I'll do that in a heartbeat. We can play in OKC. We can play in Norman. You know, if it's, it, you know, if it's our year, like our baseball does, uh, we haven't kind of agreed on that yet. Um, and if we do great, I'm all in, I'll play them. I love to play them. They are the standard Florida and them. It's the standard. It's what it is. And, um, and, and, and so the only reason, the only reason to, to meet that standard is to play the standard and understand what it is. And so, um, we fought on this. I finally got it changed. Um, it's made some people mad. Some people are irritated. I, I mean, I don't care. I mean, this year it's really good for OSU bottom line. Yeah. And coach, it's a great point that you make because to be good in softball, you have to get to the women's college world series. And to do that, you play three straight days on in regionals, three straight days in super regionals to get to the world series. So this exactly emulates what you will have to do in postseason to get to the women's college world series. So I'm on your side in this. I know it's tough for fans, but Hey, it's not that far a drive. Just drive to Stillwater. Come on. The other good news is this, uh, this series is going to be elevated to ESPN, um, on Friday at 6 p.m. And then Saturday's 5 p.m. game will now be on ESPN. So we need as many fans as can be there safely to look great on TV. And then Sunday's game is at 11 a.m. there in Stillwater. Uh, Coach, getting ready for Bedlam, and I love this definition. This is probably the one you sent out to your team on the, on the group chat. A scene of uproar and confusion. And I just think this is going to be a great series Oklahoma is crushing the ball. I mean, their lineup is just crazy. What will be important for your pitching staff? And, and Carrie Eberly has been terrific this season to keeping the ball in the park, plain and simple. Well, the bottom line is um, I don't think they've seen anybody like Carrie yet. Um, I know they've run into some decent arms. Um, Carrie is as good as anybody in the country. Um, and, um, you know, they're going to get their shot. And so is she. I, like I've told our kids, you don't have to be perfect against this team. That's the way they make you feel. Um, their, their numbers, if you just sit there and stare at their stuff, it, it makes you think, oh my gosh, I can't miss. But they're normal. They're humans. They put their pants on the same way as our girls do. Um, and uh, they just, they're, 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 they're talented. I mean, I, there's no getting around that. But, you know, I, I grew up where good pitching beats good hitting when good pitching's on. And Carrie just needs to be Carrie. Kelly just needs to be Kelly. Um, these kids are really good. There, there's a reason why we haven't given up a lot of runs uh, for a couple of years now. And um, I, I, like I've told them, we don't need superhuman. Georgia didn't play perfect when they beat them. We don't need to play perfect. We just need to play to our standard um, and, 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 and play well. Look them in the eye, punch them keep punching them, whatever it is. I mean, this is going to be a backyard fight. And so whatever that you've got to do, you got to do. And, you know, coach, coach made a really good point there. They used to play, you know, one game at, in Norma and one game in Stillwater and kind of split these series in the big 12. And he has really fought for this, that all three games of a series would be in one location because they want to prepare for postseason, they want to mimic what they're going to see in super regionals, which is three games, three wins, three days. So um, he said, it's not going to be popular. Patty's probably not happy with him, but I do agree with him that simulating postseason with these series, especially quality series against big opponents in the big 12, where their conference is not as deep right now is crucial. Yeah. And, and Holly, it's, 
I look at this Oklahoma state team and I don't know if anybody else sees this too, but I look at them and I see Georgia. Sometimes I see that same kind of mentality, uh, similar crazy energy, really explosive offense that Kenny Gaiesi has taken that program and been really successful with. So if any team's going to beat Oklahoma down the stretch, it's gotta be Oklahoma state. I mean, I think they just mirror uh, Georgia, what they're doing pretty, pretty frequently. Fabulous stuff. Why we love Bedlam on the seven innings podcast. And that's a perfect lead into our mailbag. Uh, We love when you send us questions uh, at seven innings podcast on your social media, and then you can follow along on our lineup card. Number seven every week uh, on the lineup card is Scarborough's mailbag. What you got for us, Scarborough? All right. First to start Mitchell from Northwest Arkansas asked, um, Courtney Diefel, SEC Coach of the Year, seems like a given to him. But what about National Coach of the Year for Courtney Diefel? Yeah, I, I would think at this point she would get uh, she would probably get my vote. I, I would say uh, I would say her or uh, John Rittman, but I, I think the uh, the depth and the quality of the SEC um, probably probably uh, goes Courtney's way. Yeah, I, I, I think um, an, another couple to consider, uh, depending on what happens, the SEC tournament, um, Marissa Anderson, um, and then also Kenny Gajewski, I mean, depending on what they do against Oklahoma. So there, there are so many great coaches, and that's why we're seeing so much parity. You know, these coaches are showing up and really doing great jobs, and they're getting a lot of support from their institutions, and, and that's, that's a big part of it as well. I would agree with Courtney Diefel and only I think because the, the large jump, right? This is a team who was maybe 24, 25, and now they're consistently a top eight team in the rankings. We'll see where she ends up, but that's why I would vote for, for Courtney Diefel just because the, the huge gap that she's jumped. Good discussion. Okay. Let's move on to the next one. So this is Victor from Orlando, who is a full-time UCF fan uh, and part-time podcaster. Cool. Uh, Victor wants to know between the ACC and the big 10, which conference is more likely to have someone make it to Oklahoma city PS shout out to Kim, the PR superstar. Oh, nice. Hello. Impressive. Kim love the shout out. I'm going to say ACC has the better shot at making that postseason run, Amanda, with Clemson, Florida State, and Duke really just showing up so well for them in ACC play. And they're going to make a deeper run, I think, than what we're going to see out of the Big Ten. I agree with you, Jenny. And I think the other thing that you have to look at when you have the ACC is Florida State. Lonnie Alameda always gets her team ready for the postseason. They're always going to be somebody that's fit to make a World Series run. And beyond that, I think, too, the other thing that the Big Ten is going to run into is, again, just not having uh, even able to go and look at scouting reports and call coaches and say, Hey, what'd you see out of this team? Cause they didn't play anybody. They just played each other. So I think you kind of are just so in your own bubble. You're not really living in the same reality as everybody else. And it's just going to be tough once you escape that bubble. I'll give, I'll give Michigan a shout out here based on what they do this weekend against Minnesota. I think that the selection committee may have a soft spot and they might host. And then it comes down to, do you send Arizona there or do you send an Arkansas or a Clemson there to prove it on the road? Well, Arkansas is going to host, but uh, you know, I, I would think maybe it's a team that doesn't have quite as much experience as Michigan does and has a hard time in the circle going up to Ann Arbor. I'll toss that out. 
I, th- I think the ACC depth, I think it's been so competitive this season. I think that that's going to be the key for postseason because I mean, we haven't even talked about Virginia Tech. I was looking up all of the ACC stats um, today and they, they lead in almost every pitching category. You know, they have a really great pitcher, uh, Keeley, 24 and seven this season. And I think that like the depth of quality opponents in the ACC, you know, one, they have more teams, period. But I think the quality depth is going to carry them in the postseason. It's going to make for an interesting conversation. Can't wait to find out. We find out in a couple of weeks. I can't even believe it's here. Um, next question. This is Lexi from Atlanta, but Lexi's favorite team is OU. This question is for you, Kayla. Where do you think that the tide can improve and can Montana make it all the way? Specifically for you, Kayla. Uh, this, is a, this is a great question. Wow. Where can the tide improve? They could... Uh get people healthy and have a clear roster. And uh, no, honestly, I think defensively they've struggled pretty consistently this year. And and that's because they've had so much turnover in positioning, losing Bailey Dowling, losing Claire Jenkins, their middle infielders and having to rotate some people in and out. Um, They don't have great power numbers typically compared to some of the other teams in the sec. And I think that you look at Alabama and despite all of those things and areas that they can absolutely improve on, uh, they're still winning and they're still looking like a pretty complete team. And they went on the road against Georgia last weekend and swept that series. That's a huge victory for them. So despite having some bumps in the road, I think the key factor is Montana Fouts and how she's pitched. And I, I do think Montana can make it all the way. I think she's competitive. She wants the ball. She is a fighter in the circle. And not only does she have great stuff, but she just wants the ball. And I think that's a player that the team wants to play behind and can rally behind that can get you a good postseason run. Yeah, I agree, Kayla. And I think if they can get Lexi Kilfoyle back um, strong, both with the bat and in the circle, especially in the circle, I think that helps them tremendously. When I was doing a little bit of research and on numbers, because Murph um, always talks about how important winning the freebie war is, is they have the ability to to gain full passes, about 16% of their AB. So they do a great job with that. But their batting average as a team is over 300. So you're right, only 28 home runs on the year. Their power numbers are down. But if they can hit well, risk with runners in scoring position, continue to get people on base, they love to stir defense, right? They still a lot of bases. This is an Alabama team that can put runs up on the board. And when Kilfoyle and Fouts are on, they don't need a ton of runs in order to win. So I think they go a long way. All right, last one. Let's pull back the curtain a little bit with this question from Danielle, who's from Florida. Uh, Danielle asks, can we get a behind the scenes on how you all call games? What happens during, this is a good question. What happens during commercial breaks and how many stats do you look up beforehand? And even better question, how is the dynamic in the booth with announcers that you just met? I can tell you what happens during commercials at Michelle's house. Usually I'm over at her house for dinner and I pop down there and make fun of her or <laughs> wave hello or show her what I'm drinking um, while we wait for her. Yeah. That's what happens at Michelle's house during commercials. Well, and I think the thing is you try to get to know your play-by-play because we're the, we're the color. We're the ones stepping in, trying to get to know the Beth Moens that we're going to be with. And so as we try to get um, that camaraderie, it's easier on a weekend where you have more than one game together. Um, but luckily by this time of the year, we've settled into a regular play-by-play and it's, it's now a friendship where you know when the other person's going to talk and you're able to relate one to another. It makes it hard though, as we sit in our own houses and just look at each other through a computer screen with a little bit of lag every now and again. So um, the thing is by this time of the year, you have a rapport with one another, but 
it's definitely not the same as being in the booth. And what do we do in commercial breaks? Sometimes we're ripping on the umpires. Sometimes we're ripping on the plays. Um, but there's just a lot of honesty that goes on in between those breaks. <laughs> so can I just ask an honest question of, we've been doing this podcast now for two years on Zoom. So speaking of looking into a computer screen, who amongst us has seen each other in person during this whole pandemic? Like, are you just looking at each other through the Zooms? Okay, I've seen Beth in person. I've seen Michelle in person. I'll see yeah, Jen in person in a week. Oh, Jen, I did see you for your baby shower. Yeah. yeah. Amanda yeah. flew in for the baby shower. Yeah. Okay. That, that was like a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Last it's going to be really nice in postseason to actually see people in person. Oh. I can't even tell you how awesome that is. Yeah. As for our uh, pregame, um, we, we get notes. We get note packets from each team. Uh, we look up national statistics. We look up conference statistics. We will have a Zoom call with both uh, head coaches usually and, um, you know, try and set up some interviews with players from time to time to get good stories from them. And then we watch, we spend a lot of time watching the teams in advance of when we're going to call them or, you know, watching teams that we know we're not going to see, but we want to be able to speak, uh, you know, about them on the podcast. So there's quite a bit of preparation that goes in behind the scenes and, and before we, we hop on, which is always cool. The, the other thing we really appreciate is when you single out, when, when you crush on our announcers, bro, getting her own mailbag question. And hey, I think, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take I think it. On the, uh, I think on the lineup card, number seven this week is going to be shout out to Kim, the PR superstar, getting a question as well. Jeez. Good stuff. Taylor, were you going to add anything? I, I mean, Beth said it all, but I will say uh, prepping for games kind of takes me back to my playing days of like scouting an opponent. You look for big keys and what you see your flaws or some, you know, specific statistics or uh, things in a pitcher that you can exploit or understand that those are going to have big impacts on the game. So honestly, it feels sometimes like I'm prepping for a game I'm about to go play still. So Last it's not just off. it's not just slap, steal first, steal second, get driven in by Fenton or Amanda Locke or somebody like that. I, I mean, it looks like that, but you know. <laughs> Last thing I'll say, Beth, is that we actually have a special button that we can communicate to each other during the game that you, as a fan, can't hear us, and that's pretty cool. We can talk to our producer, um, whoever is um, our stats person for the game. And you have no idea that we're having separate conversations and it's complete secret, Beth. So, and, yeah. and usually it's the play-by-play -play announcer that brings us back from break. If you ever see or hear the analyst bringing you back from break, there's a very good chance that the play-by-play -play had to go to the bathroom during that commercial. <laughs> good insight. That's TMI. <laughs> TMI, TMI. 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 Are we ready to shag some stats, ladies? This week on Shaggin' Stats. I want to go to the HBCU and give some love to Howard Softball. Tori Tyson, a friend of the show that we love so much, and she's doing a great job there. Shout out to Camille Navarro from Howard, who led the MEAC in batting this year, 421. She now has 132 career hits. She is the fastest athlete in Howard's modern-day history to reach over 100 hit club. So shout out to the HBCU Camille, Camille Navarro. 
I want to go to the Pac-12. We didn't really talk about them this week, but there was an interesting series between Oregon and ASU. ASU actually took that series. They won three of the four games from Oregon, uh, which was very dramatic online. So I looked at ASU because I feel like they're a team that keeps bouncing around. And they've only lost one series in the pack all year, which is shocking because they were ranked fourth in the pack. That series they lost to was UCLA. Their pitching staff is decent. They're not great. They give up a lot of runs. And so I went and looked, had they thrown any shutouts all year? They have won every series, but the UCLA series, they have thrown zero shutouts in Pac-12 play all year, which is astonishing to me that they're still figuring out a way to win ball games with giving up quite a few runs. Jenny, what's your stat? I, I love that, Jen, because you got to always out hit the opponent. But I think one of the ways that um, I was successful playing was because of those in front of me. And so it's those speedsters that I always have my eye on. So this last week, Jenna Wildeman, she's at Central Arkansas. She leads the country in stolen bases. She has 51, but guys in her last four games, she's nabbed 10 stolen bases. So for me, those are the kind of girls I want on base so that I can hit them around. So good job, Jenna. Kayla, what you got? Speaking of on base, I wanted to see who has the best on base percentage in the entire country and shout out to Allie Cummings, uh, but Miami of Ohio, she leads the country with an on base percentage of 625 and that's, she's played 44 games. So it's not like they've had a, a shortened schedule. She's played a lot of games. She's got 46 walks, 53 hits. She's getting on base all the time. So those big hitters can hit her in. And I'm going to go to the circle for a Hannah Hall from Virginia Westland. You guys check this out. 125 wins. That is a division three NCAA record. How about that? 125 wins. So how about Hannah Hall giving it up for her for NCAA record division three, 125 wins. All right. All right. Uh, My stats from the PAC 12 Arizona is Chanel Mionio. Uh, she's on a 27 game hit streak entering this series, uh, entering this weekend series against Oregon, which by the way, Friday night on ESPN two, you can check her out. And she has a hit in every game that she has started, but one. Ooh, nice, nice. And, and for my shag and stat, I'm going to go with, you know, you're not going to hit for the cycle without the hardest one to get. And that's the triple. So the, uh, currently there are three count them three people leading the nation in triples. Destiny England from Campbell, uh, Taylor Gindelsberger from Stanford, and Kayla, Kayla Weddle uh, from UIC. They all have eight triples on the season. Uh, well done, ladies. And don't we, uh, Jenny Dalton Hill, we have something that's even better than a moment. Don't you have a broment for us from the <laughs> SEC annals, statistically speaking? I don't Since know. This is, I, this is Kayla's day, apparently. It, it is. And so we've got to make sure and give her a little bit of love. But I don't know if I need to be the one that, to share it. Bro, do you want to be the one that shouts it out? Yeah, Kayla Kowalik, another great Kayla in the history of SEC softball, uh, will be, if she continues to hit above 500, she will be the first player in SEC conference history to hit above 500 since 2010 
And in 2010, there were two players to do that. And one was Chelsea Bramlett. And the other one is yours truly, Kayla Bro. <laughs> Did you just say another great Kayla in SEC softball? Yeah, there's a lot of them. I was talking about me. Well, <laughs> no, I love that. Com- I loved the confidence that you said, you know, I was a great player. And that does well. imply that you, you are were. one as well. Kayla. That's true. I should. Yeah. It's just because of my all own that bag. extra study it, you, and research that you did, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you said it was Kayla Day, so I just kind of built on it. I got too confident. Just wrote no, it. I liked it. It was good. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, your eligibility is retired, so we need a different player of the week this week. I already nominated Odyssey Alexander with a perfect game and a one-hit shutout for JMU. Who else we got? I had one. I thought Autumn Humes was a good candidate from Kentucky. She is a 500 hitter on the weekend, swept AM. Sorry, Amanda. And she got her first career triple. So SEC player of the week, Autumn Humes hit, okay. a, hit 500. Okay. You don't seem that excited about that one. I, that's it a felt little... like a lukewarm response. <laughs> She did have a good weekend, by the way, like she she did did well in the circle. She got these big hits. Like she she did have a good weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I just needed more enthusiasm. All right. I got your back. I was watching. It's Odyssey or Autumn. What do we think folks? Show of hands. Odyssey. I want to go with Odyssey. I I love the way she spells her name too. Okay. Okay. That's five. That's five, six. Okay. All right. Autumn Humes had a fabulous weekend An opportunity for her Uh, to still win the player of the week at a later date. But we're going Odyssey Alexander, JMU, our player of the week. This was a great show, everybody. Uh, Thanks to our guest, Mary Half, Val Cagle. We heard from Kenny Gajewski. Got a big weekend coming up for the likes of Clemson, uh, Michigan at Minnesota. Also Bedlam going on this weekend all over our air. As we get underway with the mayhem, Holly Rowe, today's your day. Hard hats and hard hits, baby. Hard hats and hard hits. This week's episode as we are underway with the mayhem. And we will see you on the road to the Women's College World Series. BMO, Ho-Ro, Shro, Bro, Scarborough, Smitty, JDH. And the shout out to Kim, the PR superstar today.